That's the sound of victory, baby. The Bengals are one and oh. Don't worry, I am legal enough to drink this beer. Alec, how are you doing this, this afternoon? I'm doing fantastic. How's that beer tasting? It tastes like one and oh, I can tell you that much. Yeah, uh, one and oh by, uh, by uh, a bad replay. By the skin of their teeth, the Bengals are one and oh, a 27 to 24 win over the Vikings on Sunday. We meant to get back to you. Uh, a little earlier in the week and I think going forward we're going to try to do a quick recap episode Mondays and then a more in-depth episode on Thursdays previewing what's going on in the upcoming week this week went a little haywire because listen we're all human but going forward that's what we're going to do but we're going to talk about the Vikings real quick right now before we get into the Bears what impressed you this weekend Alec yep so kind of started off a little slow I think they're kind of they were trying to protect Joe as in Joe Burrow but I think they got the they got the run game established early, and they kind of rode that throughout the game. They they took a couple shots when they could have. But I, I like the overall. Um, I would say the one thing I took away from it was number one, the tackles didn't allow a pressure. One of the one of the only three duos in the NFL to not allow a pressure from the outside. Now the inside's a different story, mm-hmm. but the outside looked good, um, and I really like Jamar Chase. Not not one drop. So I think that. Yeah. So we'll just do a quick recap of of what all we saw on Sunday. As you mentioned, O-line played. I mean, yes, Bengals gave up five sacks and Burrow had a top uh, half. The Bengals were in the top half of the league in pressure percentage uh, surrendered on Sunday. That being said, I think we come out of this game feeling very confident about the offensive line. Um, I think it's much more of a case of Trey Hopkins getting his feet under him um, after having not played at all in seven or eight months now. Um, so I'm not too worried about him. Suofilo was Suofilo. I mean, he's average to below average. Not going to w- worry about that. Quentin Spain graded out as a 79.7 from PFF. He played very well, had maybe one miss all afternoon. And then, as you said, the two bookend tackles played very well. Um, you know, I have some questions about the scheme a little bit because we had Drew Sample blocking Daniil Hunter at one point. but. Yeah, yeah. I listened to uh, the Dave Lapham with uh, Callahan, uh, Bengals OC, and he said that out of the five sacks, um, two were running back protection pickup misses, two were inside uh, between uh, Suofilo and uh, Trey Hopkins, and then the one was Daniel Hunter trying to be blocked by, you know, Drew Sample. So, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think overall it's a solid performance. Um I was going to say something. Oh, it really did become evident. And this is going to be a storyline. I think as the season goes on, it became clearly evident how much they're going to miss Giovanni Bernard in pass protection. Samaj P. Ryan was just not it. And obviously we have 17 weeks of the season to improve, but um, certainly not what you wanted to see in the first week, albeit against a pretty stout Minnesota front. 
but they're going to face two even better defensive fronts in this week with the Bears and next week with Pittsburgh. So got to get it figured out at some point, scheme around it a little bit. But I really love to see how much they had Joe Burrow under center. Uh, he was not an empty as much as he was last year. And overall, their game plan was very good. Attacked him early with the run, only conservative stuff, then opened it up a little bit in the middle of the game. Obviously, the big play to Jamar Chase. And then just closed it out, well, relatively, closed it out with the run. I mean, I think I was watching the game, and I I was sitting there saying to myself, you know, those first two quarters, they were getting those two, three-yard gains with Mixon. Um, And then later on in the game, you know, as most of the time happens when you commit to it, they just leaned on him a little bit, and suddenly those two- and three-yard gains became six, seven, eight, nine-yard gains, and – Boy, did Joe Mixon have a day on Sunday. Yeah, he did. 29 carries, 127 yards rushing. Mm-hmm. Added about 30 in the air, right? 30 receiving around yeah. there. So, I mean, over 150 total yards. I mean, he looked he looked back. Now, is it sustainable for him to get 32, 33 touches every week? Absolutely not. They're going to run him into the ground. Maybe that's their plan that, you know, to not extend him. We don't know that. But – I think long-term it's not sustainable to have him touch the ball 33 times a game. Definitely not sustainable, especially when we've seen his durability be concerned uh, in the past. And I mean, once again, to just dredge up a point I just talked about, this is once again, where losing Giovanni Bernard is really going to hurt this team because Samaj P. Ryan had a couple of good totes on Sunday, but you really miss having that steadying presence of Giovanni Bernard in that backfield. Um, so we'll see how that storyline develops moving forward. Overall, though, very impressed with what we saw out of the offense. The game plan, uh, did, did you think that the game plan was overly conservative on Sunday? Uh, at the beginning and at the end, I thought it was. But I thought in the middle, I thought they were, I mean, they were moving the ball well. To, to end the half, that there was the chase uh, D ball. And then to start the half, uh, they scored again. They were up 21-7. I thought those two drives back-to-back, they had the potential to do that every drive if they wanted to. I think it was just a couple of unfortunate third downs. Uh, they were they had to punt. And then obviously, I mean, we'll get into it, but the fourth down uh, in one or inches on um, on their own 30. But, you know, I, I, I really liked what I saw from the offense. I thought the game plan was good. I thought it was a little conservative, but I think that's natural for, you know, Joe coming back from the ACL. And uh, Trey uh, Hopkins Center come back from ACL as well. Yeah, and I think we're going to see conservative game plans for the first uh, for these first couple of weeks, at, at least until they get to Jacksonville, Green Bay, that part of the schedule, because they want to ease Joe back in. And he had, I would argue, the best game of his career on Sunday. He was twenty for twenty-seven for two seventy. Where are my stats at? I'm looking at them right now. Let me pull them up. Come on. What? I think I lost my stats. Uh, anyways, Joe Burrow was 20 to 27. I'm looking for my stats. I think they're all the way down here at the bottom. Yep, here we go. Uh, yeah, Joe Burrow, 20 for 27. You know, he had a great game, 75% completion percentage, 168.8 passer rating. I, I would argue it's the best game of his career because uh, this is exactly what the Bengals need Joe Burrow to be. Very steadying presence. Um, and to talk about what you brought up, he, that play at the end of the first half and that whole drive, when they got the ball back with, I would say around a minute 15 to go in the first half, that is a situation where we have seen the Bengals 
time and again, forever. They have not, they have not done anything. It was under Marvin Lewis in the first two years, Zach Taylor, that was a handoff for three yards. And then we'll go into the locker room and, and do our thing to see them open it up at the end of the half with that out route to T Higgins. And then the deep shot to Jamar chase. I loved seeing that aggressiveness uh, from Zach Taylor. Now to the other side of the coin, the play everybody's going to be talking about from this game, that fourth and one on their own 31 up 21 to seven with four minutes left in the third quarter. I can start out with my thoughts on this. I love the idea of going for it. And, and Taylor talked about it in his press conference. If you get that, and and the Bengals were on such a roll at that point that if they get that first down, there's no doubt in my mind they go down the field and get points. And at that point, you're feeling pretty good about this you're game. Up, you're, up, you're up three scores. So this game's in the bag. It, it's, it's at least yeah, absolutely. And I think it's at least I mean, to your, I mean, not to interrupt you, but it's at least a ten point swing uh, from them not getting the first down because they get seven and we would at least got three. So that's a ten point swing right there with that aggressiveness. So I get it. I understand it. Right. And I think the issue that we both have with it is the play call in that instance. Where, why not QB sneak it? If you're going to run it in that situation, why not QB sneak it? Or why not ran the play that you ran in overtime right there? Yep. Well, also you got to think later in the game, later in the game, actually, you know what? It was earlier in the game when they were up, when they were up 14 to seven, they were driving. Uh, They QB sneaked it and got one on fourth and inches. I think it's just a little too, predictable when you line up um and and, and run that to mix and, and now to be fair i think they get it if he doesn't trip and, yeah you know if he doesn't stumble i think he gets that but he stumbled and he didn't get it so i mean everything's high i mean yeah for me it's way more of an issue with the play call than it is going for it i don't really understand the national i, I mean i understand it but i if you're gonna be i mean he was zach taylor was consistently aggressive on sunday we saw it at the end of the first half, consistently aggressive. The defense was extremely aggressive. We'll get to that in a second. As long as you're consistent in being this aggressive team, I'm fine with you going for it. Just make sure that the play call is better than a runoff right tackle uh, when they've stacked the line for that specific purpose. QB sneak it. Run a play action bootleg like you did later on in the game when they hit a high a high high a high percentage pass. You know the one that Uzama was a pretty high percentage pass, and it was a cover. You know there was no safeties on the field, all man coverage. Nobody picked up Uzama. I think you could do something similar with that on that fourth down. That's a little better, a little higher percentage than just handing that to Joe Mix off the right tackle. Right, right. And, and speaking of that play to Uzama at the end of the game, I think that's where you see Joe Burrow at his peak. And that is diagnosing and getting his team into the right play. Zach Taylor talks about, for those of you that don't know, Zach Taylor, uh, it was a two-play call that they had set for that play at the end of the game where it was fourth and inches about midfield uh, with 45 seconds left. And it was a two-play call that they had. It was either a QB sneak or they were going to run this play that they have run before. You remember the touchdown that they had to Giovanni Bernard at the end of the Cleveland game last year at the goal line. This is the exact same play that that was. And Joe Burrow got to the line. He talked about it in the postgame. He got to the line. He saw that uh, they uh, Minnesota had a guy lined up over Trey Hopkins, and then they had two guys shading the inside shoulders of the guards. So he checks out of the quarterback sneak, checks into the play to Uzama, and he just feathers, feathers one right into Uzama. I mean, that is Joe Burrow. I mean, his football IQ is amazing. I'm watching – 
Baker Mayfield on Sunday, and he still got the wrist sheet with all the plays on it. Joe Burrow's never had the wrist sheet. Yeah, no, and uh, it's kind of crazy with that play to see Joe Uzama. Um, he, so you watch it um, from the end zone, you know, from the end zone view. And when Joe Burrow throws this, the anticipation is crazy if you watch this because he throws this and Uzama is literally five yards downfield. So the anticipation is crazy because he knows it's, you know, no safeties, all man coverage, nobody picked up Uzama. So he just throws it to open space. I mean, it, it's just a beautiful play. And I'm, I'm now I'm kind of surprised knowing Bengals luck and knowing our luck as fans, I'm surprised CJ Uzama caught that ball. Yep. I'm surprised he caught that ball. <laughs> So let's take a second to talk about Bengals luck. Um, I think even when they were up 21 to seven, I think both you and I, we were in separate places watching this game. We might be together this Sunday to watch the game. Don't know. Hopefully. Um, But I think both you and I were sitting there at 21, seven saying they are going to find some way to bangle this game away. And they did. Yep. So the, the first thing I thought of is when after like immediately after we didn't get that first down on fourth and inches, immediately I thought Indianapolis Colts game. Yep. I thought Colts immediately because I, it happens. It happened last year a couple times with Joe. You get up by a touchdown, 10 points, and then we just go super conservative. And I get that. You're trying to establish a run game up. But, like, everything becomes stagnant. And then our defense, surprisingly, I know we give up a lot of passing yards, shut, the, shut Dalvin Cook down. Like, shut him down, um, got some pressure. But, you know, our defense isn't good enough for us to, to, to make them be on the field for 50 pass attempts. Yeah, the Bengals defense was on the field for somewhere in the neighborhood of 88 snaps on, a, in a, on an extremely hot day Sunday. That's not sustainable. Um, but going back to the point, the Bengals' luck may be starting to turn because this is a game the Bengals would have never won in the past. Ever. It, not, even, not even the last – Literally in our life, even with the Andy Dalton, Marvin Lewis days, I don't, well, first of all, I don't think they would choke it away during those days, but I, I think this, you know, there's something about this team. I don't know. Maybe it's Joe Burrow. Maybe it's Joe Mixon. Maybe it's Jesse Bates, but there just seems like there's like a mental toughness where they're not going to let, you know, that shit happen anymore. Yeah. It was, we, don't, we don't have to do those games anymore. It was amazing to see. Now I will say the reason our luck may have begin begun to turn is because that was by far and away not a fumble by Dalvin Cook. No, his butt was down. We all saw it. I literally gave up hope when I saw the replay. I was like, oh, there's no way. And then they said, stand. I mean, there were there. Now, to be fair, the replay there wasn't um, substantial evidence to see. Thank God there were bodies in the way. Because if there weren't bodies in the way, they're kicking. I mean, they're kicking that field goal for the way. Yeah. So. Um, that being said, from this person's viewpoint, the Bengals deserved to win that game. They played better. Minnesota was a wreck, and we'll switch over to the Bengals' defense now. The Bengals' defense stymied the Vikings. I mean, Eli Apple is um, – I'm, I'm, I'm not going to use a cuss word here because this is a kid's show. Eli Apple is not a very good football player right now. Um, and he had – in the National Football League? He had a three-play sequence where he missed a tackle, got called for holding, and then gave up a touchdown. And then we had Lou Anarumo come into the media room on Monday and say that he didn't have any explosive plays allowed against him. I mean, I mean are you surprised from Lou? I mean, come on. 
I mean, Lou did a great job on Sunday. Well, I don't know if he did a great job or if our players did a great job. Whoever was responsible for that, great job. But, I mean, Eli Apple almost single-handedly ruined the game for the Bengals. Yeah, now, to be – now, I don't I – don't, I don't blame him so much for the touchdown because Adam Thielen is a red zone machine. I get that. True. True. I, think was, I think it was just funny because it was the three plays in a row, the, just the cherry on top of the Ohio State DBU – when people when people talk about deep when Ohio State fans you know our friends say DBU the first name that always comes up is Eli Apple and I get it he's not he's not he's not a part of DBU he's just not not good he had a chance and for any of you that maybe didn't see this play in the game the Minnesota had third and twenty four third and twenty four and the guy KJ Osborne caught a pass five yards past the line of scrimmage and he was running up the sideline. And Eli Apple did not push him out of bounds, didn't tackle him. He let he let him ride him, basically, out of bounds. Oh, my God. Uh, that was probably the only negative from the game on Sunday was the play of Eli Apple. Now, he gets a reprieve, he gets a reprieve this week because the Bears' offense is, is just awful. Um, yes. But we got to hope Trey Waynes is back for Pittsburgh. Otherwise, Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson – Poo-poo Smith-Schuster, he's, he, he's a non-factor. The Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool have a field day against Eli Apple if he's not back, if Waynes isn't back for uh, Pittsburgh. But overall, the defensive line was disruptive. Minnesota's offensive line couldn't get out of their own way. Trey Hendrickson, five pressures. B.J. Hill, two sacks. Larry Ogunjobi was a man possessed in the middle. I, I mean, just amazing. I can't believe it. And what's crazy? So the Bengals had three defensive three defensive tackle sacks all of last year, which um, I saw on Twitter somewhere. And they had three in Week One. Which, if you think about that stat, three defensive tackle sacks all year is the most pitiful stat ever. Yeah, the Bengals. I, I saw that same stat as well. The Bengals had three pressure, or three sacks, and seven pressures by defensive tackles last year. That is I, that I'm is so bad. bad. On Sunday, they had three sacks and five pressures. Yeah. Also, um, I think Trey Hendrickson got held every single play. <laughs> he was doing yeoman's work against uh, the undrafted free agent that they had starting out there at left tackle. And it's going to be even worse this week against an even more porous Chicago O-line. So looking for big things out of them this week. Um, the big news to come out of the game from Minnesota and – I guess maybe we can parlay that into this week is Ricardo Allen breaks his hand, does something to his hamstring. He's out for three weeks. And I don't know, this came as a surprise to me, maybe because I wasn't specifically looking for him on the field Sunday. He was the Bengals highest graded defender on Sunday uh, and 86 from pro football focus. So he had a very good game. Um, but overall, this has me a little more worried than I should be about what's coming ahead uh, this weekend with the Bears. Um, but any last things you want to say about the Vikings before we before we get moving on the Bears? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a little bit of both. I think, you know, Eli Apple, I mean, just a little say one more thing about this. He, he, he As we could see, he's pretty bad, right? And I don't understand. That's an yeah, that's an understatement. Oh, so we were both fans of Jalen Davis in the preseason. I would like to see him get some time because I thought he covered really well. What does the coaching staff also have against Darius Phillips? I don't know. I, and I don't understand. I think Darius Phillips is 
I mean, he played pretty well last year in that in that trash of a in that trash of a DB room last year. So yeah, I, I don't understand particularly why Darius Phillips continues to be overlooked for whatever reason in the secondary, and it's not my job. It's my job to sit here and and laugh at them for playing Eli Apple. It's not my job to figure it out. But it would yeah. seem like maybe playing Darius Phillips or Jalen Davis would be a part of the solution. Um, now, one unit we haven't talked about at all, and there's that's good because we don't want to talk about them a lot, the linebackers who played amazing on Sunday. Yeah, and, and you know, Jermaine Pratt got the phantom force fumble, um, but it counts in the stat book, so I'll take it. They were – they were they were key in shutting down Dalvin Cook. I mean, Dalvin Cook, 20 carries, 61 yards. That is probably only, gonna be one of his worst games of the season. Yeah, the only the only uh, the only thing that I saw was Logan Wilson over overcommitted on that sweep on the goal line. Yeah. And then Dalvin walked in. But I mean, you're not gonna stop Dalvin Cook, even if and that was first down. You're not stopping Dalvin Cook on three straight rushes on the goal line. I'm sorry. So yeah. So overall, stellar performance by the defense. And looking forward to this week, it is the Bengals and the Bears in the Windy City, 1 p.m. on Sunday um, on Fox. It's going to be Mark Sanchez on the call. How about that? Mark. Your boy, our boy Mark Sanchez is going to be on the call. It's the Bengals and the Bears. It's going to be looking at the broadcasters now. Mark Sanchez and Kevin Kugler on the call, uh, 1 p.m. kick in Chicago. What are we thinking? Uh, all right, I've gone back and forth on this one, and I want you to go first. Well, I, I mean, first of all, let's just talk a little bit about the Bears and, and previewing how the Bengals match up with them a little bit. Um, this is, and I'm, I might catch a lot of heat for saying this, and maybe you agree with this. This is the first time in three years, three years, that the Bengals are going to be better than the team that they are playing. It's the first time in three years that they're going to have more talent on their roster than a team that they are playing. So this is a game the Bengals should win. And should the Bengals win this game, and I know this is looking ahead, should the Bengals win this game, they go to Pittsburgh next week, and you want to talk about a measuring stick game. If the Bengals are 2-0 and after Sunday, and they go to Pittsburgh with Joe Burrow and all that offense in tow, that is so such a big game for so many reasons. But going back to this Sunday, this is a game the Bengals should 100% win. The Bears got eviscerated on Sunday night against an L.A. Rams team I think is a little bit overhyped. And we can debate that. I, 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 agree. I agree with you 100%. They got eviscerated. Their O-line is terrible. Their receivers outside of Allen Robinson are nothing special. It's nothing like Minnesota. Their defense is good, but they're old. Um, this is a game the Bengals should win, no? No, I I, I think so. And um, you saw what – no, I get it. Matt Stafford's a, a proven pro. But I think Joe Burrow's a lot closer to Matt Stafford than, you know, people realize. And I also think that the Bengals' weapons are, I would say, arguably better than the Rams are. So, I don't I – I mean, I – I think this should be definitely a winnable game. So obviously this is one of the key storylines going to be the Andy Dalton versus Joe Burrow storyline, Bengals quarterback, Bengals quarterback, you know, yada, yada, yada. But I think 
this game comes down to, as it will come down to a lot of the season, uh, most of the games this season for the Bengals, can the Bengals offensive line block these Chicago pass rushers? You've got Khalil Mack against Riley Reef. That's one matchup. And you got Robert Quinn against Jonah Williams. That's the other matchup. But then I think it's going to be in the middle where this game is won or lost. And that's going to be Trey Hopkins, Xavier Suofilo, and Quentin Spain blocking Akeem Hicks and Eddie Goldman. Is this a matchup that you feel any sort of confidence in for the Bengals? Yeah. So I think that the strength of the Bears is their is their front seven. They got, you know, as you said, Khalil Mack. Juan Smith as well. Juan Smith as well. Um, I think that's definitely their strength. And then they have Eddie Jackson in the back end. But they looked – I mean, they gave up how many yards? 330 against Matt Stafford last week in minimal attempts. I mean, he averaged almost 12 yards per attempt, which is was a career high for Matt Stafford. And I think they're very vulnerable in um, – I think they're very vulnerable in the passing game. And I think the Bengals will be a more aggressive this week especially with maybe some more downfield shots. Cause I think their three receivers are better than any three corners that the bears have, you know, yeah. with, the, with them, with them releasing Kyle Fuller. So um, the bears, yeah, I think, yeah. yeah, the bears had a very bad week for their pass for their secondary. They had a very bad week. Jalen Johnson's a great player. Don't get me wrong. Great player. But this, I think this is, this has a big Tyler Boyd game written all over it. And I'm not just hoping about that for fantasy, which by the way, congratulations to the both of us completing a trade last night, finally getting yeah. through to the trade committee. Uh, it was it, honestly, I'm not going to lie. I had more faith in the Bengals winning a Super Bowl than our trade committee uh, centered a trade through. So, um, so congratulations to the both of us, but uh, going back to the bears, I think this is a big Tyler Boyd game. Cause I think it's going to be a lot of quick stuff from Joe Burrow I don't think they want to expose him at all to these edge rushers uh, from Chicago. That being said, also probably a big Joe Mixon game this week. And I think it could be a Joe Mixon game in the passing game. I think he could have some receiving yards. Um, if it's not Roquan Smith, you know, on Joe Mixon, I don't know if they have a – because Eddie Jackson won't be up on the line. He'll be more of a free safety, you know, hawk in the middle of the field. I think uh, I don't think they have a safety or really a linebacker that could really go one on one with Joe Mix in the passing game if he's running routes. I would I would tend to agree with you there. Um, so I think that this is a the matchup of the game is the Bengals offense against the Bears defense because I think those are the two best units that are going to be on the field Sunday. Uh, I think the Bears offense is is just downright terrible. Um, you know, one p.m. as we know, and I've told everybody this week. You're in several group chats with me. 1 p.m. on Sundays is when Andy Dalton, for some reason, flips that switch and becomes Joe Montana. So by no means am I writing off the Bears. In fact, I have told everybody I know to take the Bears minus two because this feels like a trap. Um, that being said, there is no way that the Bears should put up more than 20 points. No, no. And so I, I, was, I was looking at the uh, Bears injury report. I don't think Jason Peters, first of all, I didn't know they signed Jason Peters. I must have missed that this offseason. He is a total non-factor. He stinks. He's also, well, he's also 39. But yeah. um, So good for him for getting some money still at 39. But um, he he didn't practice to, uh, yesterday or today. So I think they're going to have to go to their third string tackle after they release Charles Leno or Leno or whatever. So they're really depleted at tackle, really bad. Their only real good offensive lineman is James Daniels. and, and 
and he and that's about it. So one out of five is. I mean, we've been there before. We've had one good offensive lineman out of five, and we know how that goes. So yeah, um, I think that when you look at the matchups, I think Chidobi Awuji on Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson's probably going to get his. I get he'll get some yards. 70, 70 to 100 yards, I think. But that, that's a matchup I feel comfortable. Awuji is not going to get toasted like we've seen William Jackson get toasted, which, by the way, he did not have the best debut in Washington. And I'm going to put a slight wager on the fact that Kenny Galladay rather exposes him tonight. Um, and then also, very important week for the linebackers because the Bears love to throw the ball to the tight ends. Cole Komet, Jimmy Graham. We got to see this is the test because the Vikings didn't really throw the ball to the tight end. Can Akeem Davis Gaither, Logan Wilson, and Jermaine Pratt cover the tight ends? Von Bell is also included there. And that's where the loss of Ricardo Allen is probably going to hurt the most this yeah. week. Yeah, I was really about to say that. I think Ricardo Allen not being able to guard Cole Komet uh, this week will be a challenge. And But I think that Akeem Davis Gaither could have a really big role this week on the tight ends because he is – more athletic than almost every tight end in the NFL. And we're going to see if him bulking up this off season and him being in a second year is going to be, if he's going to be a bigger factor. Yeah. Um, and then obviously kind of rounding out the discussion on Bengals defense versus Bears offense, the key to the game, Jack Melberth's three keys to the game, if you will, uh, David Montgomery needs to be stopped. He was probably the only player on the Bears that deserved to fly home on Sunday night. Um, and you know, obviously the Bengals just did a pretty good job on Dalvin cook. So we need to see that consistency come over here. Do you think that, do you, are you worried about David Montgomery having a field day? I mean, it, it's I the am, Bengals. So I am, I am very worried because I just still don't trust the Bengals, uh, you know, run defense. Now they did a hell of a job. We talked I mean, against Dalvin cook, but I want to, I, I need to see consistency first yeah. because we went from, last game last year, giving up 400 rushing yards to then watching this defense stifle Dalvin Cook, which is maybe the biggest turnaround in NFL history to, to, for my eyes to witness, to be honest with you. But um, I think if you stop David Montgomery, I mean, Blandy Dalton is not going to throw for 300, 300 yards. I mean, I, I heard it on a talk show. I forget which one it was. It might have been Get Up uh, this morning. Oh, but- don't tell me you're listening to that crap they spewed ESPN. Hey, I, it might've been Skip and Shannon too. They, they've all said this. They said that, uh, well, actually this morning, there's no way that Skip and Shannon were talking about anything but the Cowboys, but uh, <laughs> for three hours, but yeah, they said that Andy Dalton is just good enough where he won't make mistakes at this point in his career, but he's not good enough to get you over the hump. And I think that's true. And I think we might see a little more Justin Fields this week uh, in those package plays, which I, I'd rather not see him. I'd rather just see Andy Dalton. But I think if we stop David Montgomery, um, and force Andy Dalton to throw more, I think we're, we have a much better chance to win. The, um, the phrase that I keep hearing, and, and we said this for years when Andy was the Bengals quarterback, Andy Dalton is the perfect driver if you have a perfect car. Perfect car. If you have a car that is has – I'm not a car guy. If you have a car with a lot of horsepower and it's a beautiful car, it runs well, Andy Dalton's the guy you want driving it. But if you got a car like my old Highlander, then you want Fields driving it because Fields has the potential to be more. He can elevate the team, which is why I would be – I'm already thinking the Bengals are probably going to lose this game. 
but I would be way more convinced if um, Fields was going to be a quarterback all day for the Bears on Sunday. Yeah, and I think uh, I, I think we kind of lucked out getting the Bears. I mean, on paper, I guess lucked out because we'll probably still end up losing this game by fourteen or something. But I think we did luck out early in the season because I'd much I'd like our chances much better against this Bears team, which really isn't that bad, other than their O line, um, and, and you know, and maybe their DBs, but. I like our chances much better against Andy Dalton than I would against, as you said, Justin Fields. I think if Justin Fields played, I think his ability to extend the play would be much more dangerous than Andy Dalton um, being able to read the defense maybe a little better. I, I, I 100% agree with you. Um, so we'll get – why don't we give some um, predictions here and then we'll get in. Oh, well, first, I do want to ask one thing. We saw Jesse Bates talk to the media for the first time since – beginning of August on Monday and he addressed his contract situation and it was suffice it to say he is not very happy with the Bengals organization right now. Do you read anything into this? Do you think that we could have a Jamal Adams? um, Who's another safety that's held out, um, you know, insert guy here. Could we have a situation like that next season? Are you at all worried about that right now? Now I think, now I heard from, you know, some Bengals people that they think it's because Jesse Bates wants more guaranteed money. And that's something that the Bengals have never done. And I think that if that's the only problem, then I think the two sides, if he plays well this year in all pro caliber level, again, I think there's no problem that the two sides get a deal done. And then all that animosity goes away when you get paid, because um, I think the Bengals wanted to see one more year before they made him the highest paid safe in the league. And I really don't blame Bengals management for that because he's only had one really, really, and I know you might disagree with me and I know you're going to disagree with me, but I think he's only had one really high level year and you want to make sure that that's not a fluke. So maybe you don't pay, maybe you're that, maybe they're got to pay him more, which they will have to pay him more than they would have this off season. But I think that's worth it to make sure that he is the player that they want to pay so we're not stuck with, um, you know, uh, the eighth best safety in the NFL making $22 million a year. I don't, I don't think that's beneficial for a team like the Bengals. That's, that's, that's all good points that you make um, yeah, because I agree with you. He, he, he had last season where, I mean, he plays for the Bengals, so he's not going to get the national pub, but he was arguably the best safety in the NFL last year. Yeah, um, he was the highest graded PFF safety last year. Right. Uh, and, and Tyron Matthews, a fine player. Minka Fitzpatrick's fine. Justin Simmons, good player. Jesse Bates is in that echelon with them. That being said, my whole issue with this situation and the fact that it's ongoing to me is concerning, and I'll get to that in a second. But my whole issue with this situation is the Bengals have always been a team that keeps their own guys. They draft you, you come through the system, and if you play well here, you get paid here. I, I can't think of, it, of an example where a guy has been drafted by the Bengals, played to the caliber that Jesse Bates has. Remember, Jesse Bates was not terrible before last season. He just wasn't what he was last year. He was a average to above average safety in the NFL, and he started as a rookie. The issue I'm having with this situation is that it, it goes – it looks really bad on the Bengals because it tells everybody else in the organization, listen – you can play as well as you want. And Jesse Bates just had one of the best seasons in franchise history. We're still not going to pay you. And, and I know that's a little bit of um, facetiousness on my behalf, but 
I mean, guys have to be thinking that at this point, if they've already extended Sam Hubbard and given him probably a little bit more money than he deserves. Um, and you're going to haggle with Jesse Bates over, this is like $8 million. Just pay the man. The salary cap's going to go up. The man deserves to get paid. He played like a man possessed on Sunday. So I don't know why you wouldn't pay him. Um, and what was the last point I wanted to make here? Oh, and you're more versed in cap gymnastics than I am, but his contract's up at the end of this season. So they can still franchise tag him after this year and have until mid July to do a deal with him after this season. And then they can franchise tag him again the next year. But that sets a bad precedent because I think if you franchise tag him this off season and he plays on the tag, I think he's done in Cincinnati. So here's to praying fingers crossed that a deal gets done but the language coming out of the Jesse Bates camp right now is language I'm not very enthused by if I'm a Bengals fan or Bengals management. Soliloquy over, table back to you. Yeah. No, I, I you know, I, you know, I, I probably could have said what you were about to say, um, but I think I'm a little more optimistic in this because of the way that Mike Brown and management has spent over the last couple off seasons. I think that if you're going to go and spend for a DJ reader and a Trey Hendrickson, um, you're eventually going to pay the guys in your own organization that have performed well. And I get it. I, and I, I totally a hundred percent get it. Uh, it. It sets a bad precedent for players who think that they played well drafted by the Bengals haven't gotten paid yet. But to my point, I think if he plays well this year, he's going to be the highest paid safety in the NFL. I think everything's going to be fine. He's going to be leader on this team for the next four or five years. Um, while Joe Burrow isn't getting paid a lot. I think they have the cap to do it, and I think, it, I, I think it'll work out. So, And that's the other thing to consider. The Bengals don't have to pay Joe Burrow for three more – no, okay, this season, next season, the season Keep after. Your option. So 2025, right? It would be 2025. So they, they would probably pick up his fifth-year option and then do a deal. So he'd make that money after the fifth year. So it'd be a six-year. So it'd be 2026 would be the first year that they would pay him. Okay. J Jesse Bates is going to sign a four-year extension. Uh, uh, am I missing something? And listen, I, listen I, we know we, we know this. So Russell Wilson, they, they, they caught lightning in a bottle when he was on his rookie contract, right? Um, a home's cap hit, cap number is still low right now because they're pushing the money down the line. Uh, Tom Brady's cap hits low still. I know these are, you know, Super Bowl contending teams. But the way that teams win a Super Bowl and shock people is that their quarterback is at the end of the rookie deal. Yep. They get a bunch of talent around him. He's already taken that step. And then, you know, they, they, they get one. So I think that's our best chance before we have to pay Joe $45 million a year. Um, and then he has to put the team on his back instead of, you know, having the team around him while he's still, you know, top 10-ish. Uh, right. You know, right. But that being said, we play in a division. I say we. The Bengals play in a division predicated on your ability to play defense and have solid quarterback play that can put you over the top. So if we're not going to pay Jesse Bates, somebody else is, and – I think if I were to rank the most important players on the Bengals, Jesse Bates is two, three, he's in the top five. And so my only concern is that one, if he gets hurt and they haven't agreed to an extension, it looks really bad for the Bengals um, because then he's definitely not coming back Two, it looks really bad for the Bengals right now because it looks like they're cheap. 
which just perpetuates the narrative that they are. Um, and, and three, the guy has been all you want him to be. He's a team captain this year. He's clearly a leader in the locker room. Moral of the story, just get the damn thing done. I'm tired of hearing Jesse Bates come to the media and get asked about it because I know he doesn't want to talk about it. Um, so at the end of the day, just get the thing done. And this is a discussion that I've been meaning to have with you because it's something that, as you well know, bothers me a lot because if we're a Bengals franchise that's taking the ne next step forward to committing to our fans and to committing to winning, this is probably the first piece of evidence that we have that you're committed to that. So do it. Yeah, and I absolutely yeah, I absolutely agree. And and when, and to be honest, though, when was the last time that the Bengals made a position player the highest paid at their at, like in the NFL? I mean, I can't think of. I honestly, I I was thinking about this the other day. I can't think about it. Was it Andy Dalton? No, like, he was. No, no he, dude, he was in the top like ten paid quarterbacks. He was in the top ten, but uh, to my knowledge, the Bengals have never set um, the record. I yeah. will make a prediction that Joe Burrow possibly could be that guy uh, down the road. Um, but that's obviously way down the road. So those are our thoughts on the Jesse Bates situation. I really, it irks me that this narrative gets perpetuated. Um, and we talking about narratives is a whole nother discussion. Diana Rossini saying that dumb stuff about Jamar Chase yesterday got me way more riled up than I should have been. So Let's just move on. The Bengals are catching three. Well, it's down to two now. I got it at three. The Bengals are catching three this weekend, over under 45. What's your prediction for the game this weekend? Yep. So it's probably not the right show to uh, ask about Bengals betting objectively, but. Uh, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Two and oh last week right here. Two and oh. I had the Bengals plus three. I had Bengals money line, even though I said they were going to lose. I wouldn't I be a true fan if I didn't take money line. I know. I was going to say, even if even if we're, you know, plus 14 and a half like we were last year against the Steelers on Monday night, you got to hammer that money line. But well, that uh, was the easiest bet of my life. Absolutely. Because, you know, Big Ben still sucks and Juju. Trash. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think Bengals, you know, Bengals cover. And I also think they, you know, money line. Now the over under, I think it's going to be it's a little iffy because I think the Bengals are going to score, but I'm not sure if the Bears are going to score. So I think it depends on how how hyped that crowd is in Chicago, uh, how you know how exciting that defense is going to be. But I would still take the over. I would take the over. I would take the Bengals covering, and then if you have you know the balls to do it, I think Bengals money line. So uh, final score prediction: What are you predicting for the game overall? Uh, you know, so it's 40, 40, is it 45? 45. Okay. Um, I'm going to go 28, 21. Um, That's boring. Yeah. I, I think the Bengals score and I think, I think the bears find a way to make it interesting, but I think 28, 21. All right. I already have my um, money in. I have my hay in the barn, as they would say, I have the Bengals money line um, because I wouldn't be a true fan if I didn't. That being said, I really, from a pure betting perspective, this is such a trap line because they want you, they want you, and the public is all over the Bengals. They want the public on the Bengals um, because the Bears just lost on national TV on Sunday night. 
So this is such a trap line, in my opinion, that if if I weren't a Bengals fan listening to this podcast, which I'm not sure how many of you are, not Bengals fans, I would love the Bears. It's down to minus two right now. Love the Bears minus two. Um, that being said, I am going to take the Bears to win the game because I think that this is a Bengals team that until they win on the road against a team that is not the Houston Texans, I can't pick them to win on the road. So I'm going to take the Bears. I'm going to take the Bears 16 to 14. I think it's a very low scoring game because I think the Bengals get really conservative with it. Um, And I think that it, it comes down to, I think the Bengals maybe do for lack of a better term, piss it away at the end um, and do something that is not out of the ordinary for the Bengals. And what I mean by that is the Bengals go up maybe 14 to 13 with 20 seconds left. And Andy Dalton takes the bears down the field to kick the game winning field goal. So there you have it. Alex, Alec thinks we're going to win. I think we're going to lose. That's my eternal pessimist within me. Now let's get to our real betting picks. So As you may have seen from our Twitter account on last Thursday, uh, Alec and I are going to be doing a season-long competition between the two of us. Who has better picks? We're going to pick three games a week. Both of us went one and two last week. Um, Alec, I will turn it over to you. Give me your three picks for this week. Yeah, so are we? So uh, if we have the same picks, we just it, it'll be fun, right? Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Uh, I know you're not going to agree with me on this one, and that's fine. I got 49ers minus three against the Eagles. Okay. I okay. You just go um, through all yours, and then I'll say mine. I got Chiefs minus three and a half against the Ravens. I love uh, that. And I got Cardinals minus three and a half versus the Vikings at home. Okay, so you like the you like the three point lines, do yeah. you? Yeah. Um, so there you go. There are Alex three picks. Um, who, who's your top play? My lock of the week is the chiefs because Ronnie Stanley is not playing. Yeah. The Ravens did not look good on Monday night against the Raiders. The Raiders. Shout out Brendan Beal. Shout out. Um, my picks, uh, I can give my college picks too, actually. Um, I've got the Seattle Seahawks laying five against Tennessee. Um, there is no way that Tennessee goes in there and keeps it close because it's the first game in Seattle with full fans in two years. Uh, and Seattle looked damn good last week. Uh, Russell Wilson, dude, Russell Wilson is literally, um, he, he, he might be Jesus in a uniform the first six weeks of every year. I, I think he's literally insane. So yeah, he, um, he was very good last week. Um, where was my other pick? Oh, it's on this tab. Uh, this one I think is going to yeah, stir up a little bit. I love Jacksonville catching six at home because I do not believe Denver is any good. And I have to think that Jacksonville is at least moderately better than they were last week. Maybe Trevor Lawrence is, is good at home uh, in, in front of the fans. I don't think Denver is at all good. Uh, Ronald Darby's out. Um, Jerry, Jerry, Judy's, Jerry Judy's out. Um, I think Spready Bridgewater, you know, I think this is a very, I think this is a close game. 
And I think maybe Jacksonville loses by a field goal. I love Jacksonville because I love home dogs. And because I feel like the public, I think I saw somewhere where like 70% of the public money is on Denver, but the line hasn't moved from minus six. So that tells me the Sharps ride with me, which I like. Uh, And then you and I are going against each other. I have the Eagles plus three and a half. Uh, It's down to plus three, which is what you get it at or minus three. Um, Just really like the Eagles home dog, San Francisco on the East coast, two weeks in a row. Didn't close out well last week. Mostert and Jason Verrett out for the season. Uh, I think this could be a situation where the Eagles at home keep it a little competitive, lose by a field goal, and, and that's why I love three and a half. And my top play is going to be um, Seattle. I think that they are – I think they're going to kill Tennessee. Tennessee did not look good last week. Um, it, it, yeah. Yeah, and I, I know we're not a really a true, like, all around NFL show, but I got to say real quick, I think Kyler Murray might win MVP this year. But Yeah. If he can, if he can win, um, if 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 Arizona can make it to the playoffs, the way Kyler Murray played last week was unreal. He was unreal. And remember, uh, when people said they shouldn't take uh, two quarterbacks in the top ten two years in a row after they picked that fraud Josh Rosen, um, they're they're starting to look kind of stupid right now. So yeah, and you know, I think it'll be Cliff Kingsbury kind of determining whether or not they do go that far because I don't have any faith in, in cliff. So there are picks. Alec has the chiefs minus three and a half, the Niners minus three and the chiefs minus three and a half. I've got Seattle minus five Jacksonville plus six and the Eagles plus three and a half. Now a game that is of a lot of importance to this podcast this weekend, uh, where you and I will both be um, our guest last week will be hosting us. Jake Sneed shout out. Indiana Hoosiers hosting the Cincinnati Bearcats. It's a four-point spread. Are you taking any action on this game? It's up to four. Uh, last time I saw it, it was only at three and a half. Um, yeah, I, I got to take UC. I think Michael Penix is not very good. Uh, that's a very hot take for me. I know you're not going to agree with me. Uh, I think UC's defense is, you know, I, I mean, I can't go against my, you know, I can't go against them, but I think their defense is top 10 in FBS. I think Desmond Ritter is plenty good enough. Now, I think he's a little overhyped, um, but I think their, their, their offense is plenty good enough to be able to compete with Indiana, even on the road. All right, so you've got Indiana. You've got Cincinnati minus four. I love Indiana plus four. Same, Home dog. Home same, dog. same exact reasoning that I just took Jacksonville. The entire public is on the Bearcats. They're IU. Pretty, yeah, they're pretty similar, too, IU and uh, – in Jacksonville, they both suck, but they're both dogs at home. So, you know what? Maybe, maybe you're going to get in trouble. You're going to get in trouble for that one. Yeah, I, I watched that Iowa game, so I bet on I bet I bet on Indiana to that Iowa game. I deserve I deserve to say that they looked like garbage. And the, <laughs> but hey, but hey, but they beat Idaho last week, so let's see how well they played this week. Oh man, I can't. I I don't know how I'm going to survive Saturday. With I you think playing. I saw you playing running back for Idaho last week. I thought I, think, I thought I saw you got a couple carries last week for Idaho. I have been at LA Fitness recently. Not to brag, I did do the leg press yesterday, okay. and I got up this morning. I could not walk. So yep. if it, that that's that's a uh, feeling all too common. All right, let's. Uh, I, I got to speaking of the gym. I got to get there before I can go do a little double well action at outer end tonight. So. Oh, oh, let's speed it up a little bit. Let's do a little bit of trivia. Yep. The Bengals are going for their second road win in a row on Sunday because remember they won 
at Houston to, at the end of last year, this year. Yep. Right Second now. road win in a row. Who was the Bengals quarterback the last time they won two road games in a row? Carson Palmer, Andy Dalton, or A.J. McCarron? I'm going to go A.J. McCarron. Oh, you see, it seems a little too obvious. It is A.J. McCarron. It they is won, at, McCarron. won at Denver. 2015, when they won at Cleveland and at San Francisco, when he took over for yeah. Andy Dalton. A.J. McCarron, that's the last time the Bengals have won two road games in a row. That, um, that, not to be fair, that Bengals team was top five in offense and defense that year. So he was just, he just had the keys to the, you know, to the Maserati. So, but yeah. So if that doesn't tell you what kind of history the Bengals are going for on Sunday, I don't know what does. Um, and then looking ahead, they go for three in a row, maybe if they win Sunday against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, so there's your trivia question. Now, you know what time it is. I hate this time. I hate this segment. It's time for the Reds update. Oh, God. I don't want to talk about the Reds, man. The Reds have lost nine series in a row. And they're still only a game out. They're still only – and now we can play the what if all day. David Bell needs to go. The bullpen sucks. Um, But to be fair, to be fair, we're – I shouldn't be complaining because the last five years, we've only wanted them to be competitive in September and they are competitive in September. So I can't complain too much, but it, it's still embarrassing to see what they've done lately. I mean, they just lost a series to the, to the Pittsburgh pirates who literally started three dudes this series that basically were in, um, were in independent ball, all three of them. Well, I mean, Mitch Keller, but Mitch Keller is terrible too. So you might as well, two of, two of the pitchers pitching and one in Korea and one in independent ball last year. And we lost the series. Listen, I mean, I've, I've kind of bemoaned this point, but as long as the Reds get me to football season, that's all I really need. They did that. So Reds, good season. I mean, they're not, they're not going to make the wild card. And if they do, if they do make the wild card for you listeners at home, this weekend will be a good preview of what's going to happen because they play the Dodgers are going to be starting Walker Bueller, Max Scherzer, and Clayton Kershaw this weekend. Um, I would say the Reds might score negative runs. Can I? Can we do? Uh, can we do a quick little fun over under runs, and then we'll 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 review it on Monday. I'm going to go for the series. Reds score uh, less than five runs for the whole series, five or less. See, I'm optimistic. I feel like they might do a little bit more, so I'm going to go under two. Oh, okay. Under two. All right. I love it. Gotcha. I don't think they stand a chance of scoring a singular run against Scherzer or Kershaw. Walker Bueller has been probably the worst of the three and he's still got an ERA below 3.5. So I don't know. Castellini needs to sell the team. That's all I know. But Hey, we got the Bengals on Sunday in the Windy City against the Bears. Shout out Clay Hippenmeyer against the Bears. And Jake Spiewak. And Jake Spiewak. I think the Bears are going to win. Alec does not. We will see on Sunday. But until then, who day? Hey. Let's get to 2-0. Let's win two road games in a row. Let's go. Who day? Who day?